from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with noted author and Renaissance man Matthew Crawford about his best, about his three books. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the bishop's mind. Good morning, Kelly, Good morning. on this Feast of the Sacred Heart. Yeah, yes. So the great mercy of Jesus and St. Margaret Mary Alacoque and her spiritual director, Claude mm-hmm. de la Colombière. And so the great mercy of God, again, I've said before, I think sometimes the divine mercy devotion is a kind of a spiritual child, if you will, of the, mm-hmm. the devotion of the Sacred Heart. And how much in our society right now, obviously we're crying for justice and all those peaceful mm-hmm. protesters out there who rightfully in solidarity are not calling us uh, to, to more as a people, uh, people of goodwill, people of faith, but uh, how you know mercy really fulfills justice, and so the charity that's there, uh, and hopefully that we uh, give each other the opportunity to mm-hmm. to draw closer and don't simply write people off in that particular way. And uh, the the prayer rallies in which I've experienced that's been a, a mm-hmm. beautiful moment of hope, and may that continue to be, to be more the defining note for us as as a people rather than that. The great uh, diaconal ordination last week, Amy Beckman Collier. Uh, a select group of, of singers. Obviously, we're asking in the parishes. This is one of the, the features that oh, we have to kind of uh, offer up right now is that music is very minimal because of the concern about mm-hmm. the, the uh, aerosolization, aerosolization mm-hmm. of, of, of droplets and things mm-hmm. and the, the social distancing. I hope people are uh, finding this graceful even as they you know, have to be more intentional about what we're doing with the wearing of masks and other things. Mm-hmm. Some of you have seen the little video that we produced about mm-hmm. this, but uh, I think probably the, the ushers and pastors are, are reminding us you know, when we come together with, from the moment we leave the car uh, until we go back, mm-hmm. you know, what we have to do. But but that ultimately we do get to celebrate. And uh, those who are getting married, those who are making First Holy Communion, getting confirmed, mm-hmm. uh, all those sa- the sacramental feast and, and baptism, too, uh, that we can participate in. So that's a, a, a great thing. Uh, and so Father's Day coming up, we remember our fathers living and deceased, mm-hmm. and ultimately uh, that they might image our Heavenly Father and point us to the one from whom the title flows, and uh, and the spiritual fathers uh, that in our lives, our godparents, our priests. So give them a little shout out here. They, you know, they, they've taken a little hit on their morale as well, and I'm not asking you to pity them, and they, they're not whining in any way, but uh, just remember that uh, what we've come through together uh, is meant ultimately by God's grace to unite us rather than divide us. So you've got some, uh, an event coming up this weekend maybe that you want to bring to the attention of our people, especially families with children. Sure, yes. The Essential Catholic is presenting Ocean of Mercy. It's a virtual Catholic conference for kids. Um, starts tomorrow and goes through Sunday. Um, as you can imagine, with masses being suspended, vacation Bible schools have um, a lot of them have been canceled, so this is an opportunity for kids. Um, so it's got content featuring many of the top Catholic media producers for children. They're going to be praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet together and crying out for mercy for the whole world. It's sponsored by EWTN, and um, you would go to EssentialCatholic.com. This is both Saturday and Sunday, and again, it'll conclude with uh, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And um, yeah, so there we go. 
Very good. And if I could continue to encourage people, uh, the response to the opportunity when the whole pandemic broke in the Diocese of Des Moines, among other organizations, Mm -hmm. having a chance for us to to support each other, particularly people who are vulnerable at risk, basic life needs. So the Diocese of Des Moines COVID-19 Relief Fund is still up and running. We've had about $120,000 that uh, has been received channeling it to individuals, but also to parishes. And that, those opportunities will be coming forward uh, in, in the short term here. So uh, we want to kind of, again, hold that up as uh, those uh, are in charity and solidarity with each other that they might be able to, to do that. So I'm really looking forward to Matthew Crawford. Uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a man who kind of holds up a, a vision of the human person, whether he, he himself is Catholic or not. I think it's a Catholic-friendly anthropology mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways, and including a sense that, you know, sometimes, you know, when people are gambling or into things, and I know sports betting is back in force, you know, it's not so much the juju of winning, but the kind of handing over our agency in a kind of automatic way. So, you know, those ways in which we check out. And if there's anything that the pandemic has shown us is that we want to plug in to our relationships even more. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making a Personal Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. According to a 2019 Global Food Security Report, more than 820 million people in the world are hungry today. None of us can help all of them. Most of us can help one. One child. Your gift of $1 a day through Blessman International provides a child in South Africa with a daily hot meal, place of safety, educational experience, and spiritual development. To get started, go to International. And click sponsor a child. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq des moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. I've been driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. It's my baby Collins and I need you here. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. On today's show, we're visiting with author Matthew Crawford about his book, Shop Class as Soulcraft, as well as his other two books, World Beyond Your Head, and his newest book, Why We Drive Toward a Philosophy of the Open Road. Mr. Crawford is also currently a fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture at the University of Virginia. It's good to have you, Mr. Crawford, uh, with us this morning. Thank you for, for making time. And uh, you, you may be saying, oh, why a Catholic Bishops Radio show? And our listeners, I think they're in for a treat here at Iowa Catholic Radio and Spirit Catholic Radio in Omaha. Uh, just uh, someone that I, you know, coming across your work and, and things, and I think really a, a take on our humanity engaging, you know, all that's happening with the unfolding technology and some of the challenges that face us. And even now, obviously, recently with the, the resurgence of our concerns about racism and things, too. But, uh, um, you know, as one who dabbled in philosophy and had a father who was an engineer, he was great about uh, designing things, power plants or other things. But when it came to fixing things, he was pretty lousy. Now, you seem to have both sides of the brain working there. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about your background in that regard? Well, I, you know, my dad was a, a physicist, and I went and actually majored in physics as a as a college student, um, but I was also 
working on cars my whole time growing up. I started working at a Porsche shop when I was 15. Cool. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and my dad, like, he, he had no interest in fixing things. Or if he did uh, attempt to fix, it usually involved duct tape. Um, <laughs> that was his mentality, sort to solve every problem with that, uh, for, at least for a few hours. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I think... Uh, there is something about um, fixing things that I, I think is we don't we don't sort of give it quite enough credit. Um, when you're taking care of old things, it I think it enacts a, a sensibility of stewardship, um, and I think the the work of maintenance and repair kind of secures the continuity of the world. And um, it's something that's a sort of very quiet activity. It's not much noticed, but um, I think there's something quite valuable there. In a, in a, what even Pope Francis has kind of called a disposable culture, and obviously we can think about that with our stuff, but how that kind of carries over to our attitudes toward people. So you speak of a kind of stewardship of things. And a lot of your, your pieces, your chapters in the various books kind of reflect on you know, stuff molds us. You know, you talked about the the short line breakfast cook and things like that, and the jigs that are there, and how this actually uh, evokes our humanity in a way, even as there might be some re- repetition in some of the tasks that we perform. Yeah. So I talk about yeah the short order cook and how <clears throat> just the environment of the kitchen, the way it's set up. You know, having your tools and materials laid out a certain way. Um, it, it almost becomes like an extension of himself, so he doesn't have to think about every little thing he does. Um, it's, it's this idea of extended mind. Uh, that is, that you're, you're kind of the, the tasks of your mind uh, are sort of some of it is offloaded into the environment if you arrange things well. Mm-hmm. And I took that as kind of emblematic of a wider point about uh, culture and sort of cultural norms and traditions and anything inherited that is outside us and how that can order our um, our own life in ways that we're often not conscious of um, because we have this kind of fantasy of being sort of self-made or completely autonomous or um, being not dependent on anybody which is a kind of um, pride that can um, kind of give you a false sense of um, autonomy, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, and so, uh, you know, the, the engagement with the world, uh, the material world, and, and uh, your ability to, to not simply manipulate it according to our own ends, but to be respectful and reverent of it. And, you know, you even talk about uh, organ craftsmanship and, and things that are there and the kinds of materials and the, the, the bond of generations that's there. So you're not simply a, a kind of a, a talking head, you know, a member of the chattering class coming down. <laughs> that, But uh, you've got street cred. You owned a motorcycle repair shop in, in Virginia, I believe. Yeah, so I ran that bike shop. Um, this is in the early 2000s. Up, <clears throat> and then it kind of shaded into, instead of repairing bikes, I was fabricating parts for custom motorcycles. And then that went on into the 2010s. Um, but I've moved to California, and uh, currently my I'm still spending lots of time in the shop, but what I've been doing is building a car. Um, it's been a, a massive project going on for about 10 years now almost. 
<laughs> and, uh, and and that pays the bills? Or <laughs> no, no, no. This is purely uh, purely for my own <laughs> obsession. Um, yeah, no. The writing kind of took over from the, the shop work as far as a livelihood. Um, but in terms of where I spend my hours, it's it's about half and half. Okay. And still some affiliation with the University of Virginia, I understand. Yeah, they keep me on as a um, as a fellow there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, moving back to California, am I right? Uh, you know, looking at why we drive toward a philosophy of the open road. Some of your stories there from your younger days in California. So you're a native Californian, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area. And I haven't lived here since the early '90s, and uh, it sure changed. <laughs> That would be a show unto itself, I think, to, to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. But, you know, one of the stories you talk about, your Jeepster, which was kind of uh, sputtering and dying and kind of leaving you uh, stranded in that way, kind of on down Highway 101 and everything else. And then, if I might just read a little bit here, a funny thing happened as I sat there. My despair opened up or it cleared the way for a different feeling. I felt free. Maybe I'd take a job and live here in San Miguel for a spell. Looking back on that moment now, I can see it was the freedom of faith. Faith in my own powers, but also faith that the world was basically hospitable, hospitable if I threw myself into it with trust. And so there's kind of a natural attitude that the world invites us, that the world is, is somehow good to us, uh, you know, which, again, you know, Catholic uh, social teaching would, would want to say that the creator who stands behind that, but even just from the natural attitude that, that you know, how we regard the environment respects, you know, reflects a, a kind of inherent value that uh, has a claim over us, but also uh, uh, kind of uh, reveals us to ourselves. So there's a question in there somewhere. Well, no, that's, that's really uh, nicely put. Uh, so thank you for that. And just to, because uh, your listeners won't know the, the context here necessarily, so this is a story of breaking down in the middle of the night in an old car. <clears throat> this is when I'm about uh, 20, 21 years old. <clears throat> and and being thrust into having to ask favors of other people and rely on my <clears throat> my wits, and then it, it, it came to a point where I was just I was just broken. There was I had no more cash, no more ideas, and I was stuck. Um, and that's the moment uh, that leads to the passage you read. And one thing I guess I'd want to um, pull out and highlight is that the the whole setup for that is just this. You know, here I'm a young person driving an old car, no cell phone. Um, you know, because it was back in the 80s. And I think there's something about our determination to make everything so safe now. Um, you know, no parent would want their kid ever driving a car that could possibly break down and not being able to communicate. And I think um, this determination to eliminate all risk from life can forestall such moments of... Um, of crisis, yes, but also of that kind of uh, faith when you just have to kind of throw yourself into the world and hope for the best. It's an, it, it, that's an experience of kind of exposure to contingency and risk. And I think that is somehow inseparable from those experiences of uh, faith and grace and um, kind of the world, you know, being uh, somehow... Um, hospitable. Hmm. 
Beautifully said. Beautifully Thank said. You. So, so it begs the question, or beckons the question, I guess, now as we live under the, the COVID nineteen regime. Any observations for us? And obviously, California has been pretty strict on uh, the uh, expectations of its citizens. Iowa maybe a little bit less so in that regard, but uh, very, very different depending on the the kind of uh, political climate in which we find ourselves. But uh, you know, what would be your counsel to us in terms of engaging contingency now? Well, I don't have any counsel, but um, I guess I would offer an observation or two. And there's there's nothing original in this, but it does seem that <clears throat> about half the population has accepted all these restrictions with <clears throat> relative equanimity and is quite ready to defer to expert authority, <clears throat> uh, you know, coming to us through the TV. And the other half of the population is quite skeptical, um, and this looks to them like a, uh, <clears throat> a kind of a, an exercise in extending social control <clears throat> even further, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly sympathetic to that view. Um, I mean, you know, whatever the health hazards are, and, and clearly they are very significant and very dangerous. It seems also to be the case that this is a kind of opportunity for bureaucratic grasping and. Um, I think that one reason we're susceptible to that is uh, because of this, what I call, ideology of safetyism, where the safer we become, the more intolerable any remaining risk appears. And I think that's rooted in this, um, I don't know, it's, it's a creeping kind of infantilization of people. Oh. That I think is doesn't sit very well with our traditions of self-government and uh, and the democratic personality, which is is um, kind of predicated on the idea that you can kind of make sense of the world for yourself based on what you see, uh, as opposed to just kind of automatically deferring to expert authority. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I land on your use of the term, you know, the appearance of, of safety, you know, it's kind of a mere appearing where we perhaps uh, delude ourselves in thinking that we've created a kind of a immune bubble, if you will, to mm-hmm. the incursions of life and ultimately our own mortality in that regard. That uh, uh, I think you've put your finger on something really uh, key when you mention mortality. There is this kind of denial of our mortality, I think, and in the name of that denial or kind of flowing from it is this ever more hysterical um, attempt to quarantine risk and eliminate it from life. But I do think that um, risk is is bound up with some of the humanizing possibilities. Uh, You know, play, for example, play is often, think about sport, Think about what people are willing to risk in terms of bodily injury in sport. And there's something elevating about that. There's um, something beautiful about it. And uh, so there's a, there's a guy I quote in the book who talked about the human need to fight. He's talking about <laughs> things like sport. And that this is connected to our need to live in beauty. Um, <laughs> 
that uh, that takes uh, that takes risk. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we've got about uh, two twenty before the break here. I, you know, my brothers, if they were listening, they'd say, "Oh yeah, Bill, <laughs> the need to fight." <laughs> so <laughs> they'd call me out. I, I was really moved. Your your little. Uh, uh, aside a little digression on the rise of the bicycle, more or less in the book, why we drive toward a philosophy of the open road, kind of taking me back. I'm a few years older than you, but uh, kind of the neighborhood there. And in in reaction to the kind of uh, smugness of urban bicyclists who see themselves superior, if they will, you know, to, to things in their spandex and everything else, you know, they're kind of talking about as a child and the, and the, 13-year-old gangster Troy uh, riding and uh, risking all things as he tried to leap over on a bike, 10 trash cans. But then uh, you had an encounter with him, and uh, he uh, uh, he uh, relieved you of the $9.80 that you'd kept as you were going across town. And so this show uh, appearing before Father's Day here as well in the role of your dad in that moment. Could you just maybe speak about you – because know, you – yeah, you, you conclude uh, – the episode remains a lesson of what it takes to be a father and why a kid might want to have one. Yeah, so there was this uh, this guy, Troy, <clears throat> in the neighborhood, and word on the street was that he'd done hard time. <laughs> At <age> some, 13. <laughs> yeah, some said it was for killing a man. Um, but, you know, when I was like eight years old, and you got to understand, this is like, this is no joke. This is, this dude is serious. <laughs> And yeah, so he and his his uh, his his thugs rolled up on me and uh, took my money and um, you know I, I I told my dad well, I didn't tell him it sort of slipped out because I was just I don't know I, I wasn't in the habit of of telling adults anything and <laughs> and so he was like oh he was just. He was really mad, and so we went on this hunt to find Troy. And I'm like, Dad, you don't understand. This is Troy. This is, this is not somebody you go looking for. But your dad, the physicist, is on a, on a mission. Yeah. So we, we I'm, found. I'm going to ask you to pause. We're ready for a little break, but if you'll stay sure. with us, please, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property has launched a Rosary Crusade to restore America to order. The Rosary Crusade travels with statues of Our Lady of Fatima throughout the country with plans to hold a Rosary Rally in Des Moines this Saturday, June 20th at 4 p.m. on the Capitol steps, asking her Immaculate Heart to triumph in America and asking her to cover the country with her blessings. Learn more about the Rosary Caravan at tfp.org and search for the Rosary campaign to restore America. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Get your motor running. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Messer-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Today's show, we're visiting with author Matthew Crawford about his newest book, Why We Drive Toward a Philosophy of the Open Road. Okay. Well, our, our listeners have been hanging, waiting to hear the rest of the story about Troy and your dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, <clears throat> there was one kid who uh, we thought might know where Troy lived and 
we went over there, you know, it must have been like 10 at night or something. And the kid just would not give up the information because he knew, he knew <laughs> how serious this was. Um, but my dad kept grilling him and finally we got it. And we went over to the, uh, the place indicated and uh, it's this little shack. And he, my dad pounds on the door. And what you got to understand is that this is about 1973. Hmm. And at this time, my dad looks like a hell's angel. <laughs> <laughs> Long, straggly hair, unwashed, um, you know, big, bushy mustache. I mean, he, was, he was nothing he, of He didn't sort. hang out with Charles Manson, did he? No, <laughs> no but no. he kind of looked like he would. Um, so anyway, you know, the, the mother was there. Um, Troy came out sheepishly, just looked nothing like we knew. <clears throat> and so, you know, he he was just mortified, and uh, and uh, I got the money back. And I was just so stunned that this was even possible, and and stunned at the effect of confronting a bully um, in a kind of spirit of you know righteous anger, but um, but ultimately fair also. My dad refused to take the extra 20 cents, the difference between $10 and $9.80. Um, and then he handed me the money, and I was just like, wow, that, that was impressive. And, um, and, yeah, it is for me a kind of a memory of um, why a kid might want to have a father and what it takes to, to be a father. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, maybe in our remaining time, just to fast forward, you do at the latter portion of uh, Why We Drive Toward a Philosophy of the Open Road. Uh, and, you know, that title could strike us as, you know, the uh, uh, homage to American individualism in a way. And then at, toward the end, you conclude, you say, we realize that we can work things out for ourselves with a little faith in one another. Recall that Pope Francis called the prudent drivers of Rome who expressed concretely their love for the city by moving through it with tact and care, artisans of the common good. So not necessarily, you know, enhancing our individualism, but your 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 overall thesis of the book may be pointing somewhere else. Yeah, I'm impressed by um this the trust that's on display when we share the road together. I mean, especially acute for me on a motorcycle when I'm leaned into a blind curve on a two-lane country road. You know, I'm, I'm trusting that there isn't a truck that's on the wrong side of the line coming the other way. But also at a, um, a crowded intersection, especially in a place like Rome, uh, where there's, it's just, it looks like chaos. But in fact, what are people doing? They're, they're improvising. They're cooperating. They're they're just kind of working it out on the fly. And I think it's, to me, it's a kind of a beautiful display of social trust. And as we, you know, this big project to replace all of that with driverless cars seems like an attempt to um, replace that kind of sociality with a kind of machine-generated certainty. And it strikes me that that, um, that, kind of expresses an anti-humanism. It expresses a d determination to kind of make our human capacities obsolete, uh, in which case they will, in fact, atrophy. And I don't like the implications of that for self-government. 
It's a it's a provocative argument, but uh, again, I've appreciated all your works, and uh, I hope that you know the, the the car gets finished someday. But uh, and as one who's tried to make my way through Piazza della Venezia at times, yeah, there's a logic there in Italy, but I haven't understood it yet. Thank you for being with us. This has been thank you so much for having me. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.